Math skills are not necessarily just numeracy. That's just part of it. The other part is being able to look at a problem, put things together and solve problems. That's math skills. So I believe that our students, our black and brown kids, especially in the city of Detroit and in the inner city, they're great mathematicians. They gotta navigate that system that they live in. They gotta navigate those neighborhoods. They gotta get to school and learn stuff from teachers like me. And in order to do that, you've gotta be smart. You've gotta have a math brain. You've gotta know when to code switch. You've gotta know when to sit up and pay attention. And you've gotta know when you don't have to check. You know, there are so many things that go on in your brain that if you can do all these things at one time, you are straight a mathematician. That's why musicians are mathematicians. That's why athletes are mathematicians. When you have all these things that go on in your brain and you can do them all at one time, that's conditioning of the mind. That's a math skill. I'm Nikki Herda, and this is Bright. Stories of hope and innovation in Michigan classrooms. A podcast where we celebrate our state's educators and explore the future of learning. Bright is brought to you in part by Mimic Insurance Company, insuring the educational community for more than 70 years. Teachers and school employees visit mimic.com slash quote to see how much you can save. In today's episode of Bright, I chat with Janine Scott, a master teacher of mathematics for Davis Aerospace Technical High School, who was honored as a 2020 to 21 Regional Teacher of the Year, representing the city of Detroit. Janine speaks to why belief and efficacy are fundamental to the teaching of mathematics, explains why stereotype threat can be so incredibly damaging in this subject area, and shares three ways to make your math instruction more equitable. To kick us off, I was wondering if you could tell us about the most interesting project that you're doing at your school right now or in your classroom. Wow. So I can think of three things because the most I very seldom have the most anything. We just finished our robotics season, and so robotics is just a ton of fun. And outside of being able to use your math skills in a practical way, I get to see the wonderful, wonderful diversity of robotics competitions. And as a matter of fact, I will be presenting to the State Board of Ed, and the topic is if our classrooms were just more like robotics competitions, diversity would be taken care of. So we just finished that. We're also going to be starting a radio club, or we have a radio club, and it is a ham radio club. And our school has been selected as the only Detroit public school to talk to the astronauts. So we will be using our ham radios to talk to a satellite, an astronaut in the space station sometime coming up um, between now and maybe October just depends on what they're orbiting and when we can get it together. So I'm pretty so excited cool. about that. Me too. I'm super excited about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Have you done this before? <laughs> or is like this nope. the first time you're nope. talking to an astronaut? This is, I've never spoken to an astronaut. What we're doing is we've got some folks who do ham radio. They're going to come to our school and they're going to train our students on how to use the ham radio so that our students can get their own ham radio licenses. And so the school I work at is already a unique school. It's Davis Aerospace. Our students learn to fly airplanes and they fly drones. 
And so our students get their private pilot's license. They can get their unmanned license. And now some of our students will be able to get their ham radio license. And we will be talking to astronauts. So that's another pretty cool thing. We're working with the Tuskegee Airmen on it. And I am super excited about that. So, wow. Yeah, that is that is such a neat school yeah, and such cool. a neat project specifically. So, yeah, thank you for telling me more about that. How cool that they get to leave school with those kind of like licenses Skills. and certifications. Yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely. Um, was there a third thing? Say there's a third. Oh, third thing is that my pre-cal class is the funnest, bestest class in the world, and I started it just promising my kids that if they tried hard, they would get an A or a B. And if they learned something, they, you know, they would pass with a good grade. And if they didn't, they wouldn't pass at all. And what's, it's amazing, not surprising, but it's amazing to me when I take the pressure off from the A, B, C, D, F grades, every last one of them has gotten above an 80%, with the exception of a few that have absence issues or attendance issues, but they're killing it in pre-cal and the learning that's taken place in my pre-calculus class is amazing. Is this the first time that you've done like the uh, pressure reduction on the grades or is that something yeah. that you've been doing for a while? Yes. Okay. Nope. Just first time trying it. So. Okay. And you, so you're saying like the results have been pretty phenomenal because not only has it reduced the pressure, but you've also seen increased academic achievement as a result. Oh yeah. They're taking chances that they wouldn't have taken before because they were too worried to take the chance when they know that, you know, my A, B, or C doesn't um, hinge on getting it right. They're more likely to jump in, you know, with hands up and just ready to go versus trying to ease their way in. And it's amazing the type of conversations and the type of challenges I get from my students. They like, I have one student, his whole goal in life is to prove me wrong. So he is nonstop <laughs> looking for opportunities and entryways into a different way to explain things so that he can say, Miss Scott, this is, this is really what it is. And in this class, my students don't even ask me if this is the right answer. Um, they, they don't. And it's amazing to me. They're like, this is what I got. And this is why that's amazing to me. And I imagine even just from interviewing a few math teachers on this, that sounds from what I understand, that's pretty rare because there's such that, um, and I think this is just common if you, depending on the way you were introduced to mathematics, at least I can say from my personal experience, you know, it's very easy to get fixed on right, wrong answer. And so yes. that's why that paradigm shift is so incredible in your classroom, because you're probably used to seeing some of that fixedness. And this has unlocked a whole new kind of like, you're not even getting those questions as much anymore. No, wow. they don't. They don't even say, Miss Scott, is this right? They're like, look at my answer. What do you think? This is what I got. They don't ask me, can you come check it? I don't hear that anymore. And to me, that is the definition of a mathematician, working through your answers, right or wrong, backing them up with what you did. Well, this is what I tried, but or I don't have a clue how to go about this. What did you do, so-and-so? So the discussions that I have in my pre-calculus class are amazing, and the students are all different levels of mathematics. From the one who's always trying to prove me wrong, he's ultra super brilliant mathematically, to a few kids who are like, I still don't multiply well, but mm -hmm. they still jump in 
two feet Mm -hmm. and go for it. So it's very cool. That's really awesome to hear. Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. I, uh, don't usually get goosebumps quite this early in our in the interview, so that's pretty awesome. I was wondering if you could tell me about a time that you vividly remember just falling in love with education and just realizing, like, this is what I want to do. So, unfortunately, I am never going to have one answer because there are multiple times that I've fallen in love with education. And so, from my earliest memories, I've always wanted to be either a teacher or a nurse. And in the fifth grade, I broke my arm and realized that I don't like the sight of blood. No more nursing, teacher. Um, But I've always been the teacher's pet. I've always helped other students. I've always wanted to go to other classes. So even in the third grade, my teacher would let me leave third grade class to go help the kindergarten kindergartners. In the fifth grade, I helped the kindergartners. In the sixth grade, I tutored my friends. And, you know, I was always a teacher's aide. So I'd always wanted to be a teacher. Kind of forgot about that by the time I hit 11th or 12th grade. Yep. <laughs> and so I some was weird so good. years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was so good at math and science. And my brother was an engineer that I went to the University of Michigan for engineering. But I never, ever, never lost the passion for teaching. Um, and then one time, so this is really when I took the plunge. I got sick. Like I was in the hospital in intensive care running through my bucket list of things I wanted to accomplish because I thought I might not make it out. And I said a little prayer to God. If I make it out alive, please help me just go ahead and become a teacher because I had already gotten my master's degree in education. I worked for IBM and as an engineer and my master's was in education just because I liked it so much. And I just had golden handcuffs. I, they were paying me too much in corporate America for me to teach. But I said that prayer to God and said, if I get out, help me become a teacher. And I made it out alive. And within a year, I became a teacher. And um, I have never looked back. I am the poorest I have been. I make less money now than I made in my 20s. And there are a bunch of things financially that happened with the housing market crash and all this stuff. And I've threatened on numerous occasions to go back to corporate America, but I can't because teaching is not just my job. It's my calling. It's my vocation. Thank you for sharing that. I am glad that you're here (laughs) and I'm glad. I'm sure that your students are deeply grateful that you're here, too. Yeah, well, you know, (laughs) I'm a teacher. What? (laughs) A math teacher. Yeah. Well, whether they realize it now or they realize it down the line, I'm sure that the impact is very clear. So, um, yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. That is an incredible story. So today we are going to be talking about three ways to make your math instruction more equitable. But first, I always like to pause to unpack like the why a little bit, you know, why, you know, what is the context about why this matters and um, where are we kind of situating this discussion? So um, it's this first one is a big question, obviously, but just to paint some broad sweeps. um, Can you describe for us the problems we're experiencing as a state and a nation in terms of equity in math instruction? Okay, so this is that's a huge, huge ask. But I would say it all boils down to a misunderstanding of what mathematics actually is, 
a misunderstanding of who is good at math and the stereotype threat that covers our students of color, our students in underserved communities, our girls um, that make not only the students themselves think they're not good at math, but even we as adults don't think that certain populations are as good as math. And if you are good, you're an anomaly and an exception to the rule of only certain populations excel. And so until we as a society, and then let me just narrow it down, until we as teachers and parents understand that anybody can do mathematics because math is really thinking, we're going to be in trouble. Um, You know, we're going to be in trouble. The very least of math is understanding that one plus one is two. The very most of math is saying, I can get these two things, or I can get these, put them together and come up with something. Let me look at them. Let me examine them. Let me see what they are. Let me see what I can do with these things. Is it two? Or is it 11? Or is it, you know, a T? What is one and one? That's all math. Two is one out of a hundred answers that might be right for the situation. And until we understand that all of that is mathematics, we're going to have a problem. Because when we just take one little itty bitty thing and say, that's math, and you can't do math because you can't add, subtract, multiply, or divide as well as Johnny over there, we're going to be in trouble. I heard you described uh, in a in a video for the Proud Michigan Educator campaign um, about uh, you were celebrated for your insistence for not letting mathematics become a gatekeeper in your students' educational careers. That's what I think one of your school administrators had said about you, mm-hmm. um, particularly for your black and brown students. Um, and I was wondering if maybe this would be a good transition into that, you know, talking about your beliefs there, your approach there, and how you bring this into your math classroom. Okay, for sure. So I had mentioned stereotype threat, and a lot of people don't understand stereotype threat and the huge impact it has on learners. So stereotype threat literally refers to the risk of confirming stereotypes about individuals based on their race, their culture, their identity, their ethnicities, and their just their self-identification. And when you confirm those stereotypes, whether they be good or bad, there's meaning in it. And so I try my very best to erase the negative stereotypes of my black and brown kids, which are you live in the city of Detroit. You're not good at math. Their parents were like, oh, Miss Scott, they got it honest because I was never good in math either. And I'm like, whatever. Um, Math is one of those things that really are thinking skills. And the things that we actually learn in math, unless you're a math teacher, you're never going to do algebra in real life. You're just never going to do algebra in real life. Now, you use algebra and things that algebra create every single day. And so it's almost like fire. Very few of us can create fire from scratch. Very few. Unless maybe you're an Eagle Scout. Or, you know, I don't know. But I use things that heat generate every day. Matter of fact, I get warmed by heat. I eat food. I have um, items in my house that were forged with heat. 
I use the heat. And so to understand that heat is more than just hot, that it changes things chemically, that it molds and mends and builds and tears down things. For me to understand that, that's where it comes from. Yeah, maybe if I have to, I can generate a fire. But what's more important is that I understand the power of the fire. So as we're doing mathematics, as we're doing algebra and we're do solving equations and learning how to read a sine graph or cosine graph and shift graphs, never going to really do that. Sometimes I'll see a sine graph if I'm a doctor. Maybe I'll have to see sine graphs and understand them. But if I'm a journalist, probably not. Unless, of course, I'm studying something or covering something that has to do with sign graphs. But either way it goes, I have to understand that the thinking skills that I have used and developed for with by using those um, that sort of maths that we do, they're crucial to my development as a human being. And so when I talk to parents, I'm like, I don't expect you to remember this. If you paid attention in high school to your algebra, now 15, 20, 30 years later, I don't expect you to remember it, but I expect you to know your child well enough to know if they're snowing you. If they don't know how to do it, you should get them some help. And I tell my students all the time, when they must out, when are we ever going to use this? You use it every day. But when are you ever going to do an equation in real life? I, I don't know, because the only person I know who does it are math teachers. Even as an engineer, I didn't do it. But the other thing is, we use our math skills as muscle memory. So it's just the same as a football player lifting weights. You know, they lift these weights. And I never, ever, ever see a football player go out on a football field during a football game and lift a weight. Yeah. But yeah. What are they true. doing? And why are they doing it? Conditioning gets their muscles ready. Math is conditioning for our minds. It gets our minds ready for the real world. There is not a decision that I can make without using math skills. Math skills are not necessarily just numeracy. That's just part of it. The other part is being able to look at a problem, put things together, and solve problems. That's math skills. So I believe that our students, our black and brown kids, especially in the city of Detroit and in the inner city, they're great mathematicians. They got to navigate that system that they live in. They got to navigate those neighborhoods. They got to get to school and learn stuff from teachers like me. And in order to do that, you've got to be smart. You've got to have a math brain. You've got to know when to code switch. You've got to know when to sit up and pay attention. And you've got to know when you don't have to check you know, there are so many things that go on in your brain that if you can do all these things at one time, you are straight a mathematician. That's why musicians are mathematicians. That's why athletes are mathematicians. When you have all these things that go on in your brain and you can do them all at one time, that's conditioning of the mind. That's a math skill. I love the metaphors you're using to describe this. I can see that you're a good teacher because I'm like, oh, you know, like you're making me see things in ways I've never really thought about it. So that's pretty awesome to see, first of all. Um, I wonder, are these some of the kind of like metaphors and the language you use when actually like talking to your students and, and parents? Absolutely. I absolutely yep. use that. And, and that's why I always tell my kids that you guys are some great mathematicians. 
You know, mm-hmm. you are some of the smartest kids I know. I know kids from all over the place and they've got nothing on you. And I like to try to combat a lot of the stereotype threat that goes on with my students by just mm-hmm. telling them, you got me. I'm like the best teacher I know. I am the very best math teacher I know. And so just like a basketball team that has one of the best coaches, you just get better. You get better because you've got the very best. And I tell this to teachers all the time. You better think you're the absolute best there is because you are presenting to minds that need to believe in you. So when my kids learn from me, I'm the math queen. That's just it. My name is Janine. I am the math queen. And, you know, I tell my kids, you can call me Miss Scott or you can call me math queen. Everything else you better keep in your head. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) But, you know, I get them to believe that they are learning from the absolute best there is because I believe that I am the absolute best there is. And what I know for a fact is that I am doing the very best I can. And so what that does is that kind of alleviates some of the stereotype threat of, wait a minute, I'm just because I'm not good at math, but I'm learning from the very best. So I'm going to get better. And I watch them get better and I watch them lose that fear. And it is amazing how my students, when they finally lose that fear, I'm just like, oh, my God, you, you. Sometimes, though, they don't because they run into me in upper high school, 11th and 12th grade, one of my students even said, so Ms. Scott, you just keep talking about math as just thinking skills. You just need us to get better. You just need us to get better. You don't care about how good we are. You just want us to be better when we leave. That's my whole goal. I want them to be better. (laughs) Yes, that is it. I don't need you to be me. I need you to be you and I need you to get better. You progress and I'm good. Well, so you mean to tell us that all the rest of the time our math teachers were wrong? And I just said, well, all I can say is that your math teachers are not me. <laughs> <laughs> right on. And I was like, curious you know, how you're going to answer that. Yeah, They're not me. It. They're not me. There are right and wrong answers, but I could care less about right and wrong answers. I want to know your thinking process. Did you think about it? I've got a student in my class. She gets stuff wrong all the time. (laughs) But she can back her stuff up. And she fights for her answers. And she's like, no, the reason I think that this is the right answer is because it did this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. And then the students will be, they'll be going back and forth about why this is not the right answer or why this is the right answer. She gets up on that board and presents her answer and her methodology of thinking. And I'll be like, All I got to say is that's some great thinking. So the answer that's published that they say is right is this. But I got to give you points because you backed everything up that you said. And so she will come to me and she wouldn't do this, but she she would be that student and be like, no, no, Miss Scott. Two times three is five. It is two times three is five, because when I lined them up two, three times, I got five. Watch one, two, three, four, five. She would back her stuff up and I'd have to be like, hmm, she always gives me pause. And the fact that she can give me pause means her brain is working. And now we still go through accepting answers. So this is what I got. Josh, this is what you got. Trent, this is what you got. How come our answers are different? Now, what Mm -hmm. do we learn from different answers? And how come my approach is different than yours? 
And why was your approach this way? And they'll sit back and go, ooh, so that's, I, that's not mathematically legal? Mm-mm. Okay, okay, okay. It's very, very important to me that my students speak mathematics in my math class. And I tell them that I do not speak proper English necessarily in my math class, but don't tell your ELA teacher. I speak proper math. And you have to speak mathematics. I don't allow thinky. I don't allow whatchamacallits. You know that, 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 nope, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember how to state it. Then we can talk about that and I can tell you how you should say it. But I need you to speak mathematics in this class because I need you to understand and I need to understand what you're talking about when it refers to math. I was wondering, so, you know, we talked about, um, a lot already, you know, in terms of your approach to teaching math um, and working to help students get past these stereotype threats um, and not get held back by this, you know, artificial gate. And I was wondering if you could just tell me a story before we launch into your three tips, you know, about a student or students who, um, you know, were impacted by this approach just to hear an example so we can like really see the true impact that this kind of way of instructing can have on students? So there are a lot of students who are impacted differently by this method of approach. But the students that, and I won't name names, but the students that are most affected are the students who have really bad basic skills. So they cannot do fractions well. They cannot do multiplication or division. Some of them can't even add, but their thinking skills are so freaking brilliant. I'm just like blown out the water. And so they get a teacher like me and I'm like, you're a freaking math genius. I just need you to get that multiplication in check. What you going to do? And I watch and slowly but surely I start watching these basic skills come into play that they didn't have. But once they start believing that, wait a minute, I can do the math. I just could be better if I could do the multiplication. They start doing that. So I have a specific student this year who just has low to no confidence in his math abilities, like none. And he was in our school and then transferred out and he's come back. And when he came back, he insisted that he be put in my math class because he's my child. And he's sitting in class and he's always so pensive. And, and I said, sweetie, I know you got this. I need you to speak up. And when he speaks, everybody stops and they all listen to him and they all respect him. And I said, have you ever noticed that when you finally speak up, everybody listens? And he's like... In this class, they do. I said, that's because I keep telling you, you're freaking math genius, sweetie. You just need to stop being scared. Stop being scared. So how about this young man sneaks himself in early in the mornings or after school and he comes and gets help on these basic skills that he doesn't have? And he was like, you know, I'm still not going to go to college, but I want to go to a trade school and I want to do HVAC. And I know I got to get these numbers tight, Miss Scott. And so I just want you to help me with that. So it's the realization that I've got these skills. I can think. And in order to think and be better, I need to get these basics in, in 
under control and that they go and they start working on those basics just because. And I've seen that more than once or twice. Young lady I'm tutoring right now is super brilliant. And we're going through factor and quadratics. And I'm like, come on, square root of 64. Come on, come on. And she was like, okay, I need to get my multiplication tables done. I said, yes, you do. I need you to practice them because you know how to do all this factoring. You're stalling. You're, this is fourth grade. You're stalling at the fourth grade level. I need you to get them done. Okay, I'm going to practice. And I tell my students all the time that math is a stair step. If you miss a step, it can wreck you. But it doesn't stop you. It doesn't make you less intelligent. It just holds you back. We have tools that can help you. We have tools, right, that can help you get past those, those little things. But when you find you start needing it, then you start using it and then you get it. And it's so much easier to learn your times tables when you're 16 than it is when you're eight. Because now you know why you need it. And so I've watched that happen multiple times with my kids who have really bad basic skills, but really good thinking skills. And the second they start believing that, you know what? I do have good thinking skills. Let me get this multiplication together. Let me get this division together. Let me get these fractions together. Then they get them together. Algebra. It's just, it's amazing how many times that has happened to me and my students. Wow. Um, one thing I see kind of like underpinning this, and I think you essentially already said this, but it's just the dots are connecting for me, is the importance of like belief and efficacy in all of this, you know? And that's, it sounds like, part of why the stereotype threat is so incredibly threatening and dangerous because it's undermining that fundamental belief. And so, you know, in yourself and your thinking skills. And so what you're saying is like, I just love the way you describe talking to your students. You know, you're saying, no, 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 you may not know this fraction, you know, this, how to do this, um, but you are a mathematical genius. And when you start, when you can convince them, like, you know, that that is true, that their thinking skills are on point, then the rest can build up. And and the way you described, you know, building their belief in you too, you know, like if they can believe in themselves and they can believe in you, then you can make some learning happen. You know, you can that's where you can make the magic happen. So that's, I see that thread and the artful way that you've navigated that um, to rebuild that belief and that confidence in students who had it broken down. And I, and I see it a lot. Um, I really do see it. Like people will walk into my class and they will see a mess. My class is not a neat, prim, proper class. Our, my kids are sitting on the floor. I have a beanbag chair now. Some of them are laying on the beanbag. Some of them are at their desk. Other ones are up at the board. Some of them are arguing. And people walk in and they're like, what kind of math class is this? And my answer is, it's the type of math class where kids actually learn. I have had many different administrators, until they've understood me, question my modus operandi when it comes to math. We're loud. We dance. I used to teach middle school. We would have multiplication relays and integer relays. And I would put all the kids in the back of the room, give them markers, put a problem on the board. They'd race up to the board and they could have one coach. And they'd race and they'd do the problem. The coach would be helping them and then they'd run back. And it was just too loud. Um, and my kids 
We're like, we don't even do math. We just sit and play all day. No, you don't. You do math. You do real math in this class. And I just had a student. He, I'm Facebook friends with him, and he's probably 30 now. Guess what, Miss Scott? I still sit on the floor and do my homework. I now got my <laughs> girlfriend on the floor sitting on the floor doing our homework, too, because he's back in school. And yeah. I'm just like, they used, to, they used to really yell at me. Why are you letting them sit on the floor? Well, sorry, did their parents get mad because their pants are dirty? No, kids belong in desks. No, they don't. They belong wherever they learn the best. And if a room is really quiet, there's one reason. Because they're taking a test, the final ex- assessment where I just don't want them like copying off each other. Yeah. But other than that, the room should never be quiet. And my test scores, which and I hate standardized tests, but yeah. my test scores back it up. I'm Nikki Herda, and you're listening to Bright. Stories of hope and innovation in Michigan classrooms. Bright is brought to you in part by Mimic Insurance Company, ensuring the educational community for more than 70 years. Teachers and school employees visit mimic.com slash quote to see how much you can save. Today, I'm chatting with Janine Scott, Master Teacher of Mathematics for Davis Aerospace Technical High School. He was honored as a 2020-21 Regional Teacher of the Year, representing the city of Detroit. Up next, we dive into Janine's top three tips for making your math instruction more equitable. All right, so we are going to dig in to your top three tips for making your math instruction more equitable. So are you ready to kick us off with number one? Yes. So you actually touched on it a little bit earlier. My number one is that you as an instructor have to believe that your students can understand whatever grade level math you're teaching. You have to believe it first and then you can help them believe it. Too many teachers don't really believe that their students are capable of understanding certain levels of math. They can't do it. Yes, they can. And you have to believe that your students can do it. You have to see the mathematics and the things that they do that may not have to do with numeracy. You have to be able to understand that they are capable human beings. You have to believe in yourself and you have to believe that you are that supreme motivator to get them to that level. And then, I mean, just in teachers in general, we are nonstop beating our kids over the head with efficacy and belief in them and all that. But it cannot be fake. You have to believe it. And even when you're having a bad day, because some days I'm just like, who are these creatures? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who are they? Mm -hmm. Um, I have to back up and remind myself that these are my human beings, my students, whom I love and who I believe in. And so if you believe that your students can understand grade level math, then they will believe that they can understand grade level math. As a high school teacher that teaches Algebra 2 and Pre-Cal, most of my kids aren't ready yet. But that's it. They're not ready yet for Algebra 2 and Pre-Cal. 
but they're super duper ready to do math and they have mathematical thinking skills and they can understand what different sine graphs or cosine graphs and shifts mean. And, you know, that quadratics look like this and that it's X squared and that these are the things that we do when we're talking about quadratics. They can understand those. I had an ELA teacher friend of mine explain to me, well, my kids can't read. I still have them read books at grade level because they can understand them. They resonate with the subjects and their situations. They don't resonate with CJ and run. They don't resonate mm -hmm. with baby books. Yes. I do other strategies like read-alongs and I play tape, books on tape to help my kids get through. But they get that subject matter. Just because they don't have that basic reading skill doesn't mean they can't understand that basic subject matter. And I was like, yes, that's what it is yeah. with math. Just because yeah. they don't have that basic skill does not mean that they do not understand grade level mathematics and that you need to be able to take certain steps to get to things. Now, they might not have the skills that are needed for those steps, but they can understand that you need them. And there are some things that they can do. And so if you don't believe that, you will never get them to believe it, period. Because kids can see through all the bull crap. They see through all yep. of it. So you have to believe it. And you have to understand and help them believe that they too can do it. Then they start doing it. So that's my first thing, belief. Yep. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And it entirely and clearly builds off what you were saying, you know, in the first half of our interview. So you have uh, you have me <laughs> bought mm -hmm. in hook, line, and sinker with that one. So that's great. Thank you. Um, for the sake of time, I'll have you move on to number two. And then if we have time for, you know, me to ask follow-up questions, I will uh, once we get through your three. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number two, you have to have multiple points of entry. That goes along with believing that they can understand the levels. Every student has something to contribute to every problem. Some of them can actually work through the mechanics of the math. Some of them might only be able to read the math problem or scribe. Some of them can say, wait, 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 wait. I remember, I remember that. But you have to have multiple points of entry so that everybody can participate mm -hmm. at all times. And you, once in a while, you fail. It doesn't work. Once in a while, it's like, ooh. So-and-so is over there feeling real left out right now. You got to spin back and say, hey, 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 let me show you what you're missing. Let me help you with how, you're, um, how, how you can get a better understanding and let me reset you. Have students, one of my students, he was just like, I just feel like a failure. I don't understand anything, Miss Scott. I never get it. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're one of my very best students. You're one of the ones who's always up out of your seat looking at that board because I don't get it. And I was like, oh, then you get it. I'm teaching you how to learn. I'm not teaching you how to be right. I'm teaching you how to learn. And you are one of the main ones who are up there asking questions and doing it. We are progressing. We're getting there. You're a musician. He's a musician. You never play a piece right the first time. But yeah. in your head, you're like, I know I can get there. And you keep practicing. That's what we're doing. We're practicing. And so every time I hit a new topic, that's a brand new piece. And he's yeah. like, oh, shoot. So it just clicked he, for him. Yeah, yeah. I said, sweetie, I didn't give you a B. You earned that B. And he was just like, oh, got you. 
And so now, Muscat, do you mind if I stay after school? Because I didn't get that concept and I really want to get it. I'm here. So if you don't have multiple points of entry, if you don't have spaces where everybody can feel like they can fit in and do the math, mm-hmm. you're not going to be an equitable math teacher. Um, would you be able to give me like a couple of examples of like, you know, when you're talking about these multiple points of entry, what that could look like? Absolutely. So I, I keep going back to pre-cal. Pre-cal is the study of graphs and how they move and what they look like and how you shift them and how you use them. And so I might have someone who does not do a very good job in solving equations, but they know what that graph looks like. They know what the parabola looks like. They know that a negative sign in front of the parabola goes down. They know that H and K means it shifts. And so they can do all of the movements. They might not be able to solve for X, but they can see that graph and they can use that tool. I use Desmos or graphing calculator. The solutions are right there on the X axis. Oh, there. They see that solution. So when I throw that up and I show the equation and I show the graph and I give the problem and I say, can you find a solution? Everybody can find the solution, whether they graph it, whether they solve it via equation. And even if they can't graph it, they can go on Desmos and type in the equation or they can say it's X squared. I know it's a parabola. Wait, it's not touching the X axis. Does that mean there are no solutions? No, that means there are no real solutions. Oh, that means there are no real solutions. That means there are imaginary solutions. Yes. So they all can see when I show them this parabola and this function and this equation, they can all see the points of entry. And so that's that's one of the examples that I can give for that. That's helpful. That brought me right back, like uh, <laughs> to, to free calc, you know, like I was like, oh, yeah, the H. Oh, the K. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the, the uh, little. Yeah, we do dances and we like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. when we do. And it, it's really it's so it's so much fun watching that. And it's it's fun watching them. Very cool. Awesome. Thank you. Um, do you want to lead us into tip number three? Tip number three is that. You as an instructor have to have a deep understanding of mathematics. So what I found out, um, especially since I came from corporate America and I have an engineering degree, is that I understand not only how to do the math, I'm not only good at math, I understand what you use it for and why it's used. And so a lot of times when kids ask that question that every math teacher gets every day of the year for the rest of their life, when are we ever going to use this? We don't give them some fake answer that doesn't exist. You just, you got to understand where stuff comes from and you have to understand where it comes from and what it leads into. And the more you understand the connections with the mathematics, the better teacher you become and the better Um, students you get because you are a better teacher. There are multiple thousand ways to the right answer. Sometimes I need you to understand that there are these different methods that we use. So I want you to understand these ways. But once you understand that there are different methods, then do choose your, do you, 
Whichever way works for you is the way I need you to do it. Also, teacher, don't be afraid to get something wrong. I'm wrong all the freaking time. Oh my gosh. And not wrong in a sense of, I don't know mathematics, but wrong is sometimes answers just stump me. And I'm like, yeah, oh my God, I'm stumped. I worked on this yesterday because I'm that type of teacher. I don't, I do the problems before I present them to the kids just so that I know what questions they might have, what questions I have, what misinformation. And sometimes the book is just flat out wrong. And so I do the problems, but sometimes I'll still run into roadblock and I'm like, guys, I have been a math teacher longer than you've been born and I still get X and Y mixed up sometimes. You will see me transpose numbers. Sometimes when I'm graphing, I'll go, if I graph three, five, three comma five, I'll go up three and go over five when I know it's over three, up five. I still make mistakes. That doesn't make me dumb. That makes me making a mistake and I correct it. And so I understand. I let them see me not understand sometimes they get extra credit when they catch me in a mistake, which is why my boy Josh nonstops trying to find mistakes. And, boy, he, and I'm just like, you know, I hate you. No, you love me. I do. I love you. I absolutely yeah. love you, but I hate you. I got to give you some more points because yeah. once again, you, got you me. found the error and I practiced this just so you wouldn't catch me. Yep. <laughs> So he loves so it cool. and I love it for him. Yeah. But you got to understand yeah. the math. It sounds like that motivates him, you know, oh, to gosh. want to learn and to stay on top of it. Yeah. And, and unless know, the kids hey, know you're human, right? You're human. Yeah, exactly. And I can see too, you're modeling that, you know, um, I guess growth mindset really, you know, for students, you're saying, hey, I'm really good at math and I still mess up. So it's okay if you mess up X and Y, which is which, you know, like it happens. It doesn't, that is not what defines your mathematical abilities and your mathematical skills and knowledge. So it sounds like you're modeling for them exactly the behavior and the mindset that you're hoping to achieve. So that makes, yeah, a lot of sense to me. Let them see, let them see you be human. You know, it's okay. It's okay that you're not a teacher bot. It is okay that you are a human being. Yep. Awesome. Um, well, as we wrap up here, I was wondering, um, we end every interview talking about a teacher who had a positive impact in your life. In kindergarten, Miss Owen um, was supposed to take me to the other teacher's classroom and she held my hand and said, you're so cute. I'm going to keep you for myself. I felt loved and valued as a four-year-old in kindergarten. And I have never forgotten that moment in my life. You know, Miss Gillenkirk taught me how to clog because I won the clog dancing contest. And she also, she taught me how to count in Swahili up to 10, Japanese up to 10, and French up to 10. I already knew Spanish, she taught everybody Spanish. She had open classroom and allowed us to watch TV with our points. Um, and she was fabulous. Mr. Schumacher was my teacher that every last one of my six brothers and sisters had as we switched schools, three schools for six of us. And I showed up and he was at the school and they didn't tell my mother that he was the remedial math teacher. Um, I figured probably because I was a black girl and I was being bused to Valley Farms, a white school, and they just figured I 
was remedial math, which I wasn't. And Mr. Schumacher didn't teach me one new thing, but taught me new ways to think. And he opened up my brain. It's not only good at math, but now I get it. Now I understand why I add bigger, faster, stronger than everybody else. I multiply bigger, faster, stronger. I have a deep understanding because Mr. Schumacher took, and he couldn't even say the number three. He was German. So he said tree. And so we used to make fun of him because even I can say three, but this man taught me uh, how to understand where, why 24 plus 36 is really 20 times 30 plus four, uh, six. And now that's what they call common core. But I learned that in the seventies, right? And then Mr. Norton told me, I love you every freaking day. He told us that he cares about us as an educator. He was also a math teacher, cares about us as kids. And he wants us to be better. And he cares about our progress. And I had two great parents who loved me. I didn't have the little bad history. But to hear this math teacher, this man who didn't look like me at all, um, tell me every day how much he cared about us. And we rolled our eyes. and like, Ugh. Only class that I never, ever cheated in in high school. Because I never wanted to disappoint this teacher who every day took the time to tell us how much he cared. I believed him wholeheartedly. And just as a quick aside, I remember every single black and brown teacher I had from elementary school to 12th grade. I can name them. There are five of them. I can name them. And representation matters. The only reason I can name them is there were so few I was always happy to see them. But just because they were there and I was happy to see them didn't mean that my other teachers who didn't look like me didn't have a great effect on my education. They did too. As long as that teacher cared about me and helped me be a better person, they affected me. And so there are multiple layers of teachers and students who helped me be better. And just really quick, I think I'll wrap this up with Mary Kay Stitzel. She was my friend. She was a special ed student and I was a student aide in her class. She had a positive impact on my life because I taught her how to tell time on the clock. And one day at some assembly, her mother ran over to me and she said, are you Janine? And I said, yep. She goes, my daughter is Mary Kay. And she loves you. And you taught her how to tell time. And thank you for being my daughter's friend. I'll never forget Mary, right? Because Mary was my friend. And we were in eighth grade. And she wasn't as smart as me. But what she taught me was that everybody can learn. And everybody has a right to an education. And everybody gets better, right? So maybe she was one of the ones who had the most positive impact because she is one of the people that has helped me relate to my kids no matter their situation. Doesn't mean they can't learn. Doesn't mean they're not special. And doesn't mean they're not valuable. So maybe, maybe it's Mary. Maybe Mary Kay is the one. She taught me that everybody, everybody can learn. And it just didn't matter. And everybody has a right, right? Everybody 
has a right to an education from people who are the very best they can be. And that's why it's one of my favorite questions to ask, because it's like you can see, and I hope you can see too, and I'm sure you do, but like the how these people shape who you are, you know what I mean? And like the lasting impact that they had on who you are as a teacher. Teachers have a great, they have a great impact. They're so, you know, and it's so weird because I, I forgot Mr. Weinberg and I'm sure I'll forget a bunch of them, but you know, he's the teacher that taught me to treat my students like their people. He was my ninth grade ELA teacher and he taught, he talked to us like we were people. And that, isn't that just amazing that, you know, a teacher just talks to you like you're a human being and not like you're a subordinate. Um, you're a human and you're not just a child. You are a person with real thoughts and feelings and a personality. It's the respect level that, you know, you give your kids. And my kids always say, you got to get respect to get res- give respect. And I said, I don't believe that you should respect your elders, blah, 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 blah. Miss Guy, you respect us. Yeah, I just respect humans. Well, you got to respect humans. Yes, you do. You mm-hmm. respect the humanity, but I'm still the teacher and I'm still the boss and I'm still the queen. Without a doubt, it's challenging work to build mathematical confidence in students who have already begun to absorb the lessons society has taught them, but who can and cannot excel at math. But with leaders like Janine forging our path forward, if there's one thing we're certain of, it's that the future is bright. If you know someone who's an inspiring Michigan educator who should be featured on our show, send us an email at bright at michiganvirtual.org to let us know who they are and why we should interview them. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Bright, stories of hope and innovation in Michigan classrooms. This podcast is produced by Kirby Gaylord. It's hosted by me, Nikki Herda, and is shaped by many of our passionate and talented colleagues. Big thanks to Ann Perez, Krista Green, Terrence Wilkerson, Anna Aramberry, Sarah Hill, and Brandon Batista for their contributions to this episode. Bright is brought to you in part by Mimic Insurance Company, insuring the educational community for more than 70 years. Teachers and school employees visit mimic.com quote to see how much you can save. The Bright podcast is made possible by Michigan Virtual, a nonprofit organization that's leading and collaborating to build learning environments for tomorrow. Education is changing faster than ever. Discover new models and resources to move learning forward at your school at michiganvirtual.org.